But the truth is, it's our responsibility in the healthcare system to make sure people have access to information they can use and that they'll understand. So this is really the fault of the healthcare system. Welcome to The Measure. I'm your host, Leon Andrews, President and CEO of Equal Measure. At Equal Measure, we help foundations, nonprofits, and public entities advance social justice through evaluation, strategy, and communications. On The Measure, you'll hear conversations with leaders and practitioners about their social change work and how to support more equitable communities through place-based systems change and centering racial equity. I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, medical epidemiologist, former global health diplomat, founder of Grapevine Health, and a former board member at Equal Measure. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Leon. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for joining us. So I'd like to start, as we do our podcast, from a personal perspective, as we talk about place, history, and context. I always find it important for people to give context about your own personal experience of how you think about place and how that's influenced your own life's journey. We'd love to hear how you would talk about place. It's such a good question. You know, my career has been so diverse and varied, and I've learned so much from every place I've been. And it's hard to pick one instance that really defines or frames uh, how I think about this. But if I had to pick one, it would be moving into an underserved community to really understand what it's like to be in a food desert, in a place where you hear sirens all the time, in a place where there's a lot of noise pollution, gun violence. Because in healthcare, we, we are always trying to figure out how to improve access for people We're trying to understand why people make the health-related choices they do, but it's devoid of context. And so being in that place for three and a half years really helped me sort of ground some of my thinking around how we should be helping people, particularly in underserved communities. I think place is essential. Yeah. So I love that you share about what it means to kind of live in a place that is, you know, people could look at look at that community and can speak to all that it's lacking, you know, as it talks about Mm -hmm. access to food, um, access to capital and resources. But there's also, as you look at that place in a community, there's also a narrative and a story that's not told about the assets and that they do have, right? As you think about what they, what connects that community and what makes that place a community for someone that lives there. But I do, I don't want to miss our viewers getting a chance to hear about your own personal journey of place. Like, you know, as you think about where you grew up, how that has influenced you as you think about who you are today. Well, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, um, in an underserved community. But, you know, when you're a child, you don't realize um, what you don't have. You just seem like you have everything you're supposed Mm -hmm. to have. And we moved to a different community uh, when I was a middle, middle school student. And in that community, we had an opportunity to interact with people from all walks of life. So I grew up in a, an all-Black community, and then we moved to a mostly white community. And 
it really gave me an opportunity to really understand different people from different backgrounds. And I'm glad I had that experience. It's actually served me well now because things are not always what they seem. There are a lot of stereotypes uh, about different people, different places. And you realize after moving from underserved community to one that's it's really a, it was really a middle class or a middle upper class community but just that shift from one community to another even as a child you still feel like you have everything you need but you also realize that the same things i was doing in that other community i'm also doing them here and what that means to me as an adult is we're all still the same we all still have the same needs wants desires and we forget about that when um, we're so racially and socially polarized. It's something that colors everything I do because most of my work is about putting people at the center. And I think having these diverse interactions with different people in different communities growing up has stayed with me in my work now. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Then again, I, I so take the time to make sure that we appreciate the lens all of us bring to this work mm. because we don't just show up in silos, right? We are connected to so many different things that have influenced who we are and how we see the world and how we do the work that we do. Among your many accomplishments, you're a physician, a medical epide- uh, epidemiologist who worked at the Center for Disease Control. And so just sharing a little bit about your bio, uh, but after leaving and after leading the Washington, D.C.'s Medicaid program um, as chief medical officer, you founded Grapevine Health in 2019. So I'd love for you to tell us about Grapevine and in particular curious about what were the issues you saw as a practitioner uh, that you wanted to address with the work you're doing now. Well, Leon, the healthcare system is overly complex and often lacks transparency starting with the language we use. And because the language can be confusing, it can erode trust and it can, it can discourage people from engaging in healthcare. I saw this over and over again through the questions people were asking me, whether it was my friends or my family and even patients I had inherited from other doctors who didn't understand their health conditions, and they didn't understand basic things about how their body worked, why they were taking medicines, what those medications were supposed to do. So there's a lot of confusion. And the healthcare system is, in general, not very good at speaking in plain language and making health information accessible. So I wanted to do something about this. I've been thinking about this for a long time. But one day, many years ago, I was at a community panel in Atlanta, Georgia. And after the panel was over, a man came up to me and said, how does someone like me access someone like you on a regular basis? And he wanted to know how he found, how he could find someone who was just as relatable as I was, who didn't speak in medicalese or medical jargon, who was relatable and helped him understand what was going on with his health. And I realized there were probably millions of people like him who would go to the doctor, you know, month after month, year after year, and were just confused and sort of nodding along and not knowing what questions to ask and not knowing what to do next. And I wanted to create a resource for 
Black and brown communities, particularly the Black community, to ensure people had a go-to source for trusted health information. So that was the, that was the origin story of Grapevine Health. And in that job in Medicaid, the gentleman's question came rushing back to me with all the, the different patients and community members I was hearing from and listening to about their distrust of the healthcare system, how they didn't understand how insurance works or how their doctors weren't explaining um, their health conditions to them. And I realized this is still very much a need in the community. So I don't see anyone doing this. So let me take the leap. And I did. I quit my job and I started Grapevine Health. Well, if anyone has not checked out Dr. Lisa on the street, I encourage you to, to Google that and or search that. As I hear you speak about the purpose, it really is speaking to the importance of health literacy and, and how important health literacy is. And so I'd love for you to speak to that. I really appreciate you saying those words, health literacy. Um, nowadays, I tend to uh, use less jargony words because people aren't always sure what I'm talking about. But that's exactly what this is. Health literacy is the ability to understand and use health information um, in a way that makes sense for you. And what I've been describing up to now is what we call low health literacy, or some say limited health literacy, meaning people need resources to help them understand, including medical professionals like me, who can talk in plain language to make sure people access the information they need. The reason it's so important to address health literacy, first of all, it's very costly. Studies have been conducted uh, that demonstrate um, low health literacy costs the health system and taxpayers over $280 billion a year. That's billions with a B. And these costs accrue as a result of delays in care. So if you have a health issue arise and you're not sure what to do or you're afraid or distrustful, all of these things often stemming from low health literacy, you might end up in the intensive care unit, which is much more costly than if someone had diagnosed and helped you with the problem before you needed a hospitalization. There's a story I often tell about a gentleman who didn't realize the importance of getting routine dental exams. And in his case, he developed an infection in his mouth. And when you develop an infection in your mouth, that can spread to other parts of your body, like your heart, and set up a really severe heart infection that basically shuts down the rest of your body. So he died in the ICU because he never got his teeth clean. And, you know, the question is, how preventable was that? I think it was wholly preventable. I recently wrote about this uh, on my Forbes blog because I think we undervalue the importance of health literacy and how critical it is. Because if we don't address people's understanding of why they should even care about their health or how they should engage in health care, we'll never increase or improve engagement in care the way we want to, which ultimately will save money and save lives. But it seems so simple. Well, information is everywhere. So what is the big deal about addressing health literacy? It's critical. And it's time we really start to pay close attention to this and support the resources and interventions needed to make sure people get the information they need to be healthy. Well, thanks for sharing those examples, those the, the tragic examples of what happens when we talk about the impact of health literacy. 
it made me wonder, and I'm curious if you have any reflections on this. Uh, do you see any connections to health literacy, health equity, and systems change or place-based systems change? Because part of this, I, the reason I'm asking is like, is there more that the system needs to do to transform, to address the health literacy as we think about those, these stories? And if so, what does that look like as we think about the systems change? There absolutely is a connection between health literacy, health equity, and the need for systems change. So when people talk about folks having low health literacy, often it's discussed in sort of a um, a demeaning way, as if how could you not know these things? But the truth is, it's our responsibility in the healthcare system to make sure people have access to information they can use and that they'll understand. So this is really the fault of the healthcare system. The pamphlets we create, the way we communicate, whether it's, you know, an insurance company, a healthcare provider, maybe you're in the hospital, you know, how many people are discharged from the hospital and can't tell you what happened Mm -hmm. or why they were in the hospital? Like, this is our fault. These things seem very obvious to me because I'm in community and talking to people and understanding why they make the choices they make. And so many of them are related to something people don't know. But if you're a a bureaucrat in a healthcare organization and you're not looking at this from a granular level and trying to understand, okay, so this hospitalization was avoidable, but what are the, what were the steps or what were the circumstances that led to this $1 million hospital bill? And so if there are no systems in place to collect the qualitative as well as the quantitative information, people won't have this understanding. Thank you for that. And I'm curious, as you reflect on, you know, where we are, we're coming out of the pandemic, curious if you feel that the pandemic has either changed any of your thoughts about health equity, has validated any of your thoughts about health equity? Do you feel like we are, are you seeing any change for the better or for the worse as we're coming out of the pandemic, as we talk about where these communities are? I think the pandemic validated everything. Those of us who've been working in underserved communities um, our whole careers, we're not surprised by what we saw throughout the pandemic. You know, you could uh, replace coronavirus with heart disease or diabetes or obesity or cancer. Um, We always see the higher rates of these preventable and sometimes not preventable health conditions disproportionately in underserved communities. I think the A positive that came out of that, though, was that people are now more curious and more aware about healthcare systems, about science, about research or clinical trials, because it was really unfair the way we imposed all of this information. There was a deluge of information on people during the pandemic, as if we expected people to have some baseline knowledge about what was going on. No one thinks about how you actually make a vaccine. And because the entire thing was so politicized, um, people didn't know what to believe, who to listen to. And so that made them more curious. Sure, it made people more skeptical uh, and in some ways more distrustful, but it also made people want, they were hungry for more. 
I think the other positive is that no one can say they're unaware. Like the world now knows. And so if we are not doing everything we can to figure out how to address health equity, then shame on us because it's not that we don't know. My big concern coming out of the pandemic, though, with all of this new awareness is that when we talk about health equity, everyone seems to be obsessed with making sure we have the right data. Now, you, you've mentioned to, you know, the folks listening, I'm an epidemiologist. I love data. You know, data tell a story. Data helps you establish credibility. Data validates things. So this is not just about more data. This is about systems. This is about infrastructure. This is about culture. Those are all the things we need to be focused on if we want to address health equity. Because we have plenty of data to help point us to where the disparities are. And my favorite one is zip code. Mm. You can learn so much from where someone lives, what resources are available in their community. That's the biggest frustration I have right now. Every health equity conversation, someone is talking about how we can't do anything until we first have to get the data. And I just push back on that because to me, it feels like a scapegoat. Because it's hard and it's nebulous. And some of the things we might have to do to address health equity are going to be uncomfortable. And we don't like to be uncomfortable. Amen to that. And as you reflect on doing this work, what keeps you going in the face of these complex challenges? What gives you hope? You know, we spend a lot of time on the street making uh, video content with communities. And during those times when we're on the street, We also have a lot of side conversations with people, people who don't want to be on camera and they come up and say, thank you for doing this. And then they'll say, well, since you're here, doc, like, can I ask you this question? So they're getting their, you know, second opinion right there on the street because they're still lacking something they need, something to give them the comfort or the courage to move forward with whatever health decision they have to make. And so Every time we're on the street, it's a shot in the arm because you realize that there is a there's a powerful reason we're doing this and people need access to what we're doing. We just I just get impatient, though, because I feel we have to scale what we're doing faster because people are dying. And so many of these things are preventable. And before I leave, I just want to tell people listening, like we all have to pressure the health system. Because if our voices aren't heard as patients and community members, the status quo will, it'll remain. And I think when we encounter all of these barriers and getting the care we need or getting access to the information or the resources we need, um, one of the responses is to just give up and say, oh, I'll deal with this later or I can't be bothered with that. I don't have time. And that's an understandable human response. But when that happens, that's a story that's not being told to some healthcare executive who's making a choice about where to put resources or, you know, what the community needs. So if there's ever an opportunity to share your opinion, someone asks for your feedback, please give it and and be honest. So it's up to us to create this demand in the healthcare system for the kind of healthcare access we want. Because if they don't hear from us, they'll just keep doing what they're doing. 
Yeah, thank you for that, Lisa. We all have to pressure the healthcare system. Give feedback when you have the opportunity. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for the conversation, uh, Lisa, for joining us today. And thanks to our listening, to our listening audience for tuning in to another episode of The Measure. Thanks for having me, Leon. I'd like to end my conversation with Lisa with a quote inspired by the former president of the United States, Barack Obama. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. Please rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also learn more about Equal Measure by visiting our website, equalmeasure.org. Until next time.